Welcome to the nationally syndicated In the Oil Patch radio show with Kim Bellotto, broadcasting from the Port of Corpus Christi studios. Get more on the Port of Corpus Christi at portofcc.com. In the Oil Patch radio show will give you an inside look at the oil, gas, and energy industry and how it affects you from industry experts and government officials right here on the In the Oil Patch radio show. Now it's time for me to welcome on my guest, Phyllis Satoff, who is the Executive Director CEO of Port Freeport. Phyllis, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here today. Well, Phyllis, um, this is your first time on uh, In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and uh, we met at an event. Um, and I quickly learned how really exciting uh, Freeport, Port Freeport, um, the great things that are happening at your port. So I wanted to get you on the show. Um, I just want to kind of cover a little bit of your background. You have over 25 years of port industry experience. Most of it is with a strong accounting and financial background, but there's a whole lot more than that. So let me allow you a few minutes to introduce yourself to our listeners of, you know, how did you come to being the CEO and kudos to you, a female CEO of Free, uh, port Freeport. How did you arrive and a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, well, first of all, I grew up in West Texas. I'm uh, a graduate of Rankin High School and um, grew up in the uh, in the oil and gas industry with my father um, working for Union Texas Petroleum and uh, landed on the Gulf Coast, um, pursued a career or an education in accounting. I graduated and went to work from one of the large accounting firms and um, became a certified public accountant. And after commuting into Houston uh, from the Freeport area for several years, made the decision to go to work for a local firm who audited Port Freeport. So that was my first introduction to the port and um, ultimately had the opportunity. I, know. <laughs> I had I'm the opportunity to be the CEO here. <laughs> So I uh, became the CFO for the port first, and then uh, a couple of years into my career at the port, uh, they created a, a managing director role, which was a you know a number two role. And took that and was really overseeing all of the activities of, of the port. So being in a smaller port gave me direct exposure to you know all of the different uh, aspects of running a port, building a port, and uh, you know close connection with all of our customers and tenants. So. Um, you know, I got to early on negotiate contracts and um, make uh, strategic land acquisitions and all of those things make a difference in your ability to, you know, to run an organization. So I've spent most of my career here. And uh, just before really take, I was interim CEO, I ended up taking a position, a senior leadership position at Port Houston. And I was there for four years, uh, starting in 20, October 2012 and then came back as CEO of Port Freeport in 2016. Well, uh, that's an amazing track up. Not to mention you are a really super great golfer too, which is <laughs> one of my hobbies too. So, um, you know, you mentioned a little bit in your, in your uh, you know, introduction to us, how the, you know, the uh, Port Freeport is one of the smaller ports, but we're going to get into the show today uh, about how important our ports are. Mm -hmm. um, your port is very important as well. But let's talk about, uh, introduce us to Port Freeport. What type of different types of services are you guys really 
what what is y'all's niche? What's our specialty? What's our niche? Well, first of all, you know, I'm going to say I went to work for a smaller port, but you know, Port Freeport's no longer a smaller port. We, um, in the terms of foreign waterborne tonnage, now we're 11th in the nation. Um, and you know, many it wasn't that many years ago that we were 26. So we've we've made great great strides in, in growing Port Freeport. Good leadership. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Under great leaders. That great leadership and a great team. I never uh, take credit. It takes a great team, everybody working together and a good port commission that has vision and uh, can stay the course. Uh, so together we have um, really um, expanded the port and, our, and expanded our footprint uh, globally. But we um, we're diversified. So Freeport Harbor Channel serves not only our public dock facilities, but also um, a variety of uh, a privately owned and operated facility. So there's a large amount of liquid bulk commodities that move through the port. And uh, it wouldn't surprise you that that's crude oil coming import export. Then you have uh, your refined gases um, in your liquid petroleum gas. We have the liquid natural gas and then petrochemicals. So when you start in ammonia and when you start looking at all that and talking about those players, you know, we're talking about Dow Chemical, BASF Corporation, Phillips 66, ME Global, Freeport LNG, Enterprise Products. So we're very much rooted in what's happening in uh, other parts of the of Texas and the in the oil and gas sector um, very much has a direct impact here. And uh, we're moving a lot of those West Texas commodities through through Port Freeport, but we do operate what we call our public dock facilities in our inner harbor, and we're equipped to handle containerized cargo, uh, break bulk operations, um, heavy lift, in steel, automobiles, agriculture, for, anyway, from green fruit to we have a large rice parboiling facility that's on dock. It's the largest in the world. That's an on dock facility. Um, and then aggregate, um, you know, and all the expansions that we saw just a few years ago in the region, uh, we moved a lot of aggregate through Port Freeport to help stabilize those, those sites for those expansion projects. And then we have rail infrastructure so that we're moving um, CO2 export to Mexico. Um, and then obviously handling steel and aggregate uh, interstate uh, aggregate at the port coming out of uh, the Hondo area and then interstate steel movements. So a lot going on here. We're not, uh, we don't have just a single niche, but we're, we're definitely diversified. Well, and just to reiterate, I, you know, this port is no small port. I, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the rankings and I'm like, you guys rank six in chemicals, 15th in foreign waterborne tonnage, 26 in containers. And then there was a study that came out in 2019, an economic impact study by Texas A&M, Texas A&M that revealed nationally, but you guys, uh, your channel generates uh, 200 and over 270,000 to the tune of $149 billion. Uh, this is a pretty significant port for, you know, uh, it, it just kind of reminds me of little and nimble, but super, super big. Um, you know, of course, that is uh, handling all of this uh, study at the helm, if you will. Um, let's discuss the deepening and widening of your project as well. Can you give us an update? So you very much like one of our other partners, which is the Port of Corpus Christi. We love a lot of what's happening there, too. We love to cover it. And, and you have now moved into being another one of my favorite ports because there's so much uh, activity. 
but they're also doing a deepening and widening to let the VLCCs go through there. Mm -hmm. So tell us an update on y'all's deepening and widening of your project. Where are you guys with that? Well, we're, we're in construction. I'm really grateful for that. It takes, uh, it takes a long time sometimes to get these projects through feasibility study with U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and then to a chief's report to get that congressional authorization. And then once you get the authorization, um, you have to get that new start designation and that initial construction funding. So it's a long process. Um, when I joined the port, and I'm just giving you a little history here, when I joined the port um, and when I was auditing them, they were wrapping up the deepening project to 46 feet. And that was back in the, the early 90s when they finished that project. So I've seen the you know the completion of one and then it was around 2000, I went into my boss at the time and I said, you know, we're already behind on starting the next project because it took them 30 years from the time they wanted to deepen to 46 feet to get it completed. And I said, we need to get going. So this was before they were really talking about the expansion of the Panama Canal. We decided to go ahead and initiate a study and he interviewed um, various, uh, you know, liquid bulk carriers, um, also talked to the container industry. What did they think the next generation of vessels and depths needed? What would be, you know, what would be their wish list? And that's how we decided to start a study between the de going depths of 50 to 60 feet. We landed on a depth ranging, depths ranging from under the current measurements, 51 feet to 56 feet. And um, the 56 feet picks up at our liquid uh crude oil terminal, the import export terminal and goes offshore. But coming inland to our container terminals, that will be at a depth of 51 feet, which uh, matches what uh, can transit the expanded Panama Canal. We didn't have to do a lot of widening. We're a short channel. Um, our close proximity doesn't require us to have to have two-way traffic. So that's an advantage. You just got to make sure you've got enough width to Birth vessels in terminals and pass with vessels. So we uh, we're widening or have already widened the narrowest section of our channel, and we've done the channel extension to our container terminal. We took a different approach. We're building inside out because we have another project underway where we're building um, a new berth at our container terminal, and we needed that access to it. So it made sense to complete that intersection. Go ahead and go to the 51 feet and uh, have that access to our new berth when it's complete and then have the widening done because we're already bringing Neo Panamax class row row carriers in there and uh, larger vessels into our container terminal. So we needed that width. And so that's all been completed. We're doing some dry excavation and a bendizing, but then we expect to be issuing one last contract um, to finish out the project. And that package will go out for bid at the end of December be um, opened probably February and awarded in March. And then um, we'll do it with a base bid to at least get us offshore outside the jetties. And then if there's uh, sufficient funding, which we expect there will once the FY23 appropriations bill is passed, then we can do some exercise, some options on that bid package and complete it. So we're once they award that contract and get started, that's about 700 days of construction. So my goal is 2025. To have the project completed because it was in 2025, I mean, in, in 1925, that the voters of, of Brazoria County voted to create Port Freeport as the non-federal sponsor to first divert the Brazos River to its current um, route to uh, emptying into the Gulf so that they could have a reliable port of entry. And I thought what great timing it would be to deliver the next generation channel 
um, in the year of the 100th anniversary of them voting us um, into existence. Right. What a smart move that was. So we're going to go to a break, but when we okay. return, I want to get back on the topic of the, the deepening and widening. So we have a time window you think it's going to open. I want to try to understand what will the projections be of how much growth will you see if you have those in jobs and in the economic impact to, to Brasario County. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. The annual AAPA Conference and Expo is coming up in Orlando, Florida, October 16th through the 19th as seaport leaders and marine professionals will gather for networking, technical, and policy sessions. As the seaport's main event of the year, the AAPA Conference and Expo will provide access to the industry's top decision makers, professionals, and experts. If you or your company are interested in sponsoring this year's event, contact Kevin Traver at ktraver at aapaports.org. That's Kay Traver at aapaports.org. And we're back. You're listening to Animal Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Phyllis Shawhoff, which is the executive director and CEO of Port Freeport. Phyllis, uh, before the break, you were telling us, uh, giving us a heads up about the deepening of the port uh, and the widening project. Your projections are 2025, more or less. It should be coming to completion. But, you know, when you when you finally get to completion and it start, you're open for business now, this is going to be a huge another economic boom into the region, job growth. Do you have any estimated numbers of what you see happening uh, when this is completed, the project of what you're going to give to the community, back to the community by doing this? Well, when you when you undertake one of these projects and determine whether or not it's feasible, you calculate a benefit to cost ratio. And we, um, we looked at that and looked at it carefully. And when you use the FY, and we use numbers based in 2019, but... Um, it, we can't calculate it a 2.6 benefit to cost ratio, which, and let me put it in return on investment. So based in, on return on investment, that's 159% return on investment. So you can imagine that over time, how quickly and what that's going to deliver long-term to the community. So you can expect that there will be additional expansions. I mean, in addition to the channel project, that's a $295 million project overall. Um, probably will come in a little higher with some of the cost inflation right now, but um, that was what it was originally um, expected. We're, we're funding 130 million of that project. And then we have another 140, 50 million dollars under construction. Those investments wouldn't be made if you weren't building a better, bigger channel. So and then it'll attract other investment. I mean, Freeport LNG made a decision to locate at Port Freeport because we had deep water in close proximity to the ocean, open ocean, you know, just that having that. I mean, they've invested 15 billion in our community at, you know, their side at the terminal and then at the pretreatment facility. You've had uh, companies like uh, Phillips 66 who 
you know, added liquid petroleum gas facilities at our port. We had the capability to handle, you know, things coming through the Panama Canal. There are benefits from the Panama Canal expansion that people don't talk about. We were so hyper-focused on containerized movements, but it has been a tremendous um, influencer in the LNG market and the LPG market. So that that has paid business. In the, you know, in those types of investments, those investments of billions of dollars in long-term infrastructure, just, you know, in addition to what we're doing, pays those dividends. So when you look at that economic impact, it's so much greater than just the channel itself. It's what it attracts. And we have another 242 acres directly adjacent to where we're, we're building the 56 feet of water. So we expect there will be tremendous interest by others wanting to move liquid bulk commodities in and out of port freeport we already have great interest in our container terminal uh, we have an expansion project we're extending another 925 feet of berth with a new road road platform on the end of it it comes online next spring and um, there's great interest in that again because we know we have 50 we'll have 51 feet of water to that facility when it's complete uh, when the channel project's complete so you know, those benefits, um, those terms, you know, container operations, um, the break bulk operations, row row operations, the number of jobs that get created with those operations are tremendous. Pipeline movements, you know, there's a lot of value and a lot of that's moving and has tremendous impact. But when you talk about impacting lives, um, you know, we're creating a lot of jobs right there to public dock facilities. And as we grow and add, add additional customers, uh, we'll see those. So. We're impacting households. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. But, you know, you mentioned um, we're going to go to break, so we might have to break into that. But um, set us up. I, I, I want to take uh, Freeport LNG in two pieces because we're okay. going to come up with a here. Uh, let's begin with they were operational. Can you kind of go over why are they offline uh, before we go into what's next? Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, yes, they became operational back in toward the end of 2019, and we're in full production. They have three trains of liquefaction capability already uh, constructed, and they had just brought on the third train, and we're moving uh, 19 export cargoes a month through through their facility, which is tremendous. And then we hit COVID, and uh, you know what happened around the world, around the globe, and the economy, you know, world economies just kind of shut down. So we went down to one export cargo, and then it came back up in toward the end of 2020. And since then, they had been running 19, 20 uh, export cargoes a month. But they did have an incident in June at their facility that um, uh, forced them to shut the shut the operations, and uh, those will. We'll soon resume in in next month is what we're expecting. I may have went a little further than you wanted, but uh... well, no, 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 that's fine. But you know the the importance of this, the significance is yes. that you know looking back, we in Obama before he left, President Obama, we we somehow or another managed to get the uh, export ban lifted, a forty year ban, right? And, and right. you take off all the ports are you know zooming around, it's great, and to see that we actually have LNG plants coming online, which had not been something we had seen in 40 years. And then you look at the Ukraine invasion that's happening right now, all these, uh, you know, uh, geopolitical moving parts that are happening globally. And to see that uh, President Biden is, is promising our allies, Europe, you know, uh, LNG, they desperately need it. 
And so it's good to see these things happening because they didn't, oh, they weren't happening before. And, I, and I'm hoping that our listeners understand the importance of these kind of facilities to help, you know, our allies uh, in exporting to them uh, because, you know, everybody's very well aware of what's happening in Europe right now. It's a very sad situation that they uh, just don't have enough energy and are having to, uh, it's getting scary what's happening there. But uh, so when do you think quickly uh, Freeport is scheduled to LNG come back on in a couple of months, did you say? No, in a in, in matter of weeks, uh, mid-November. Right. Yes, they should be back in production. Um, and is then it all three? Is it going to be all three trains coming back? No, on it will be. Uh, they'll at least be operating off of one berth, and um, we'll see how many cargoes a month. It'll be a ramp up. So, but I think um, after the first of the year, they should be back. Um, you know, at or near um, full operation okay. capability. I know. And the beautiful thing is, too, they already have FERC approval for a fourth liquefaction train. So um, we are very optimistic um, with current environments that uh, they'll move, be in position to move forward with construction of that fourth train. And um, it'd be fantastic. And I know the world needs it. And, um, you know, they need good, reliable, stable sources of LNG. And that's the beauty of Texas. We can provide that. So that's us. So let's take a break. When we return, I want to talk about uh, what you see growth expansion outside the stuff we've talked about at Port Freeport. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Phyllis Sawtop, who is the CEO, Executive Director of Port Freeport. Phyllis, um, we talked a little bit about um, all the expansion that's happening, the deepening and widening of the port, also um, Freeport, LNG, what's happened, its current situation. Um, and we also, you did uh, an analysis of what it would look like once the deepening and widening project is complete. But you also mentioned a whole lot of land that's still raw land that's available up for, for sale, come do business at Port Freeport. Um, is there any other growth or, or what, can we touch back on those that land parcel? How large is it? What do you see the right type of companies going in there? And are there any other areas of interest that you're looking at that are could become very promising for uh, Port Freeport. Sure, for Port Freeport's very fortunate that we do have large land holdings. Some of it is right adjacent to the water and then some of it's in, is adjacent to our existing port facilities. And then some is, um, is a little bit of a distance away, but still in, uh, in proximity and great for creating other distribution facilities, offsite storage yards, you know, things like that. So we had the opportunity to buy about 8,000 8, acres of land from Freeport Suffolk Company in uh, 1980. And so we were sitting on that land. Now about 600 of those acres are environmentally mitigated, ready to develop. So not many ports can say that. So that's one another very strategic piece for us. But we mentioned the 242 acres that we have that'll be adjacent to the deepest water. Um, 
again, um, we'll be looking for a partner to develop that. We don't sell our land. We will do long-term leases. We're not you know, afraid of doing really long-term leases with the right partner. And we've had a lot of interest. Um, and um, we're, we're, again, very optimistic of what the future is of that parcel. But in more immediate uh, development, we, um, I mentioned that we do roll-on, roll-off uh, business. We import, export uh, automobiles and high and heavy equipment. But it was announced late last month that um, we've entered into an agreement with Volkswagen Group of America and their developer and partner, KDC PRP. Um, they will be developing uh, 120-acre site at Port Freeport to make it their Port Freeport, their Gulf Coast hub for the import of Volkswagen products into into the state and Very consolidating. Uh, they'll consolidate some other operations here into one single location, and they'll be using uh, ocean-going vessel as well as rail infrastructure, which we um, had made rail improvements in the port, and we'll be spending another $10 million expanding that rail. But this is a $122 million investment. We're currently a, set a record of about 130,000 vehicle unit imports, exports. This facility alone will be able to handle 140,000 a year annually. So it's a significant operation. And uh, we're really, really excited about that and the jobs that it brings to the community. Um, and it'll be, they're just a great global partner to have. But we have another, we recently completed an acquisition of 100 acres that is immediately adjacent to the port that will give us the, the land space that we need to create new gate infrastructure into our container terminal because we do fully expect to expand those operations and bring additional carriers to Port Freeport. And you, when you expand businesses, the pace that we're expanding, you have to create uh, new accommodations to for you know fruit transfer facilities, and they you know all the fruit gets inspected by you, the U.S. Agricultural Group. You also have Customs and Border Protection that need uh, adequate space to put in radiation portals to keep you know our country safe and secure, and then to house all of their personnel. So. You know, this 100 acres will be very key to us providing all the necessary infrastructure to make an efficient um, and uh, growing, you know, opportunity for containerized uh, movements in and out of Port Freeport. So, you know, roll on roll out activity is going to continue to increase. So is the container business for Port Freeport while we still have all that liquid bulk moving that we don't really see, we don't put a lot of eyes on it. Just, uh, you know, we just arrives at the, at the port and then uh, is put into the vessels. So it's exciting. Uh, I'm wondering, I mean, you are so diverse, huge. And just, I wonder when you sleep, um, <laughs> <laughs> let's get ready for a break. When we come back, I, I want to talk about, I want to bring you back here to Texas. Um, Seaports are trying to work with the legislators this session, and I want to try to get some involvement from our listeners, too. Let's say, take a quick break. You're listening to an old Pat Radio show. We'll be right back. 
Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium plus you can earn double dividends that will go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Phyllis Sautop, who is the executive director, CEO of Port Freeport. Phyllis, um, before the break, you were telling me about all of the, uh, it's huge what's happening uh, at your port. Uh, it, there's a lot, of, a lot of different projects, a lot of movement. How many employees do you oversee right now? And, and when this is all said and done, you're, what, what do you see that number going to potentially? That's an interesting question because we're a landlord port. I don't directly or Port Freeport doesn't really directly operate anything. So we run the uh, port with about 40 employees, just the Port Freeport entity itself. Um, but we do have a whole host of uh, stevedores and uh, terminal managers and then Riviana that's, you know, has their parboiling facility on site and then all the ILA labor. Um, you know, that's that fluctuates with your with your volumes of, of business, but you know we um, we expect the labor force just for the ILA to to double um, inside the they've increased their their numbers in their union hall by uh, over three hundred percent so far uh, we tripled it and that that's not even going to touch the needs going forward and when we can have additional container operations and uh, and the new Volkswagen facility online. Um, you know, and then it's not just that you think about all the people that are employed for the tug operators that help move the vessels in and out. We haven't talked about the Brazos pilots. I can't tell you how important your, your ship pilots are to, to a port. Um, you know, they're the first point of contact to the vessel when it's arriving, arriving in a port. And if you don't have sufficient pilotage, then you're not going to get the efficiency in and out of the port. So we're very proud of our Brazos pilots and their ability to serve, serve the port. Um, but line handlers, I mean, it just, the list goes on and on. Those are the jobs that people don't see regularly and not, not sure, don't realize that are there. And when we talk about all those indirect jobs that get created, that's, those are theirs. The truckers, it's the maintenance, the people that maintain the trucks and supplying the tires, you know, it goes on and on. That economic impact just continues to spread its tentacles out, way out into the community. Let's um, switch gears and talk a little bit about you know, Texas only has, as big as Texas is, 18 ports, seaports. Um, and out of all of these ports that are vital to Texas economy, I mean, we all remember what happened last Christmas when we saw the media covering all those ships backed up in, uh, what was it, Long Beach, uh, the fort. You know, everybody wanted, we need Christmas, bring those toys in. Well, I think now maybe the general public really, for the ones who didn't quite think about how important our port, ports were. That got their attention. <laughs> and um, you know, like you mentioned, who doesn't love a Volkswagen? So Volkswagens will be coming in through your port. But I wanna give you an opportunity to talk. Um, so Texas has only given 40 million to our seaports. 
And this session, you guys are going to try to do something new. Tell us a little bit about what what is the plan for this upcoming session, 2023? Sure. Um, so you're right. Texas does have quite a few ports, you know, and the ports have really fun, self-funded their their expansions, mm-hmm. and which is so different than say the states, uh, ports in the state of Virginia, you know, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, they have state port authorities that often, you know, that funnel money and into into their ports and can react very quickly if they need to do an expansion project and help on channel projects. But just right now we have, um, I believe it's eight different channel projects that are either in construction or should soon be in construction, totaling over 3.6 billion of which about, you can estimate about 40 to 50% is, is sponsored or funded by the, the non-federal sponsor. None of that is coming from the state. That is coming from your, in, your individual ports. But yet the ports are supporting the ninth largest economy in the world. You know, you think about that, how important the ports are to the state of Texas and its producers, the energy sector, the manufacturing sector, the petrochemicals, you know, all of those things. And then the consumer goods that we need to support this growing consumer population that we have. You can't do that without your ports. So we think that we have a very compelling story and one that, you know, if we want to get ahead of the growth curve, and really be competing um, and bringing those jobs from other areas and not having goods railed from California or from the East Coast, if you want them moving through your Texas ports, then let's work together and invest in our Texas ports and, um, and, and be, you know, be ahead of the growth curve and have the type of channels and projects that can support the vessels that are moving commerce today. We, um, you know, if you kind of pay as you go, which is what we've been doing, we, we generate revenues and we leverage that. You yes. can only do that at such a rate that you, you know, just like your own checking account, you know, you can only spend by so much and then you got to pay it back before you can spend more. Well, that's what, we, what we've been doing. We have worked with the legislature and a um, hundred million total has been set aside for High, what I call the last mile highway projects, roadway projects to improve the connectivity from the, from the gate to our major roadways. And that's been administered through TxDOT. But if you have 18 ports that all have needs, you know, 20 million a, a year does not go very far, but yeah. not at all. And, um, the we you know the needs are in the billions total you know of what we're doing not in you know 20 million dollar increments so uh we're really hoping that the legislature will take a good look um i think everyone understands the ports and how impactful it is to your household you didn't realize it until you couldn't get uh you know you couldn't get that instant delivery of something to your house um, that changed uh, the way people understood way commerce flows. It just doesn't show up at your doorstep or show up on the Walmart shelf. It has to travel long distances through a port, and and um, and the closer the proximity that we bring those goods in and get them distributed, the the better the better it is. And you know, efficiency and cost effectiveness is so important. And vessels are not getting smaller. Um, you know, the getting larger. We got to be able to accommodate those, and um, anyway, we're all tr- doing our best to stay ahead of that. But uh, we can definitely work with the state and do it faster. 
Very good. We're going to take a quick break. When we return, I want to talk about um, the uh, amount estimated of, of jobs as well as uh, goods coming in. And then what do you see seaports here in Texas evolving 20, 30 years down the road? But let's take a quick break. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. The annual AAPA Conference and Expo is coming up in Orlando, Florida, October 16th through the 19th as seaport leaders and marine professionals will gather for networking, technical, and policy sessions. As the seaport's main event of the year, the AAPA Conference and Expo will provide access to the industry's top decision makers, professionals, and experts. If you or your company are interested in sponsoring this year's event, contact Kevin Traver at ktraver at aapaports.org. That's Traver at aapaports.org. Farmers and ranchers are the hardest working people on earth and deserve a side-by-side vehicle that works just as hard. That's why Yamaha makes the Viking an all-new Viking 6, the world's first true three and six person UTVs assembled in America. Ranked number one in drivetrain durability, Viking outworks and outclasses the competition in features, comfort, and off-road capability. For more, visit yamahaviking.com. Most dependable claim based on a 2013 Yamaha Source side-by-side owner study. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Phyllis Sahoff, who is the Executive Director, CEO of Fort Freeport. Excuse me. Phyllis, you know, you mentioned this session that, you know, 18 ports, $40 million. And, and what comes to my mind is that the uh, Economic Stabilization Fund, better known as the Rainy Day Fund, and the billions of dollars that is raised from oil and gas. And, and you know, our legislators have the great ability to first, they have to balance the budget, right? But then they also have the ability, if need be, to uh, dole out money, rather it's to uh, law enforcement, transportation, education, wherever they see fit. And for me, I, I kind of feel like, you know, if you make an investment, I know everybody needs something, right? But making a good investment for something in the future is kind of like go to college and get your degree so you make more money in the future. So hopefully the uh, legislators understand that, you know, whatever money they're giving out and if there is money there available in the, the rainy day fund, it might be a good opportunity to look and see how much we really can uh, give to our seaports to ensure that they continue to grow and develop and bring us our goods and services, like you said, but also um, continue to uh, develop the economic uh, impact here for the state. Let's switch gears though. And, and, and while we're on that though, switch gears a little bit and talk about um, how much do you estimate that the ports give to the Texas economy through goods and services and is there an estimation of that anywhere of all of the seaports? You know, there there is, and um, and I'm sitting here trying to remember my statistic, um, and I should have that on the top of my head. Um, it is it is a lot, um, you know, um, and I I don't remember the exact number at the moment. Uh, forgive me, but um, if you think about Fort Freeport alone, what our impact is at you know moving 33 million tons a year through Port Freeport, generating um, an economic impact of 159 billion annually. 
Texas seaports combined, that's in the trillions. You know, it's not a small number. What yes. we're doing has just an amazing economic impact. And we haven't updated those numbers in quite some time. And um, I fully expect that we'll be doing an update um, in the in the as far as Texas Ports Association. We'll be doing that update in um, in the next year is what I expect. Port Freeport has an update underway. We expect to um, have those numbers probably available right after the first of the year. And um, I'm really excited because, you know, there's been such tremendous growth in just these last few years. And our studies are based on 2017 or prior full year data. So you, you can only imagine what that's what that's going to look like we're using our current and updated numbers. But again, you just go back to we're support ports are supporting 26% of the state's GDP. You think about that, how important that is. We're moving 25% of the nation's tonnage. Um, yeah. It's well, hopefully, and that's why I'm saying the legislators need to hear that data to me because it's like give right. money now to gain so much, and teachers get it in the future. Uh, so do the law law enforcement, transportation. It just continues to grow and grow. Maybe you're not, or maybe we're not so needy on the rainy day fund, which really is primarily fund by oil and gas. So right. when we have those off years, you know the coffers go down but would this be a great replacement our seaports that will continue to thrive regardless right. because y'all are so diversified let's in the last you know ahead. and i just so you know i you know they created mechanisms in prior legislative sessions many more than a decade ago they created the mechanisms but they've just never funded them there's a ship channel improvement revolving loan fund that could have been a good tool to help off, you know, to, to provide the resources uh, to meet the local sponsor uh, portions of our channel projects. The funds were never placed in the, in that fund. And then they have a capital fund for capital improvements. So we're, we're really looking to make a bold ask of a billion dollars for the capital fund and probably 750 million for the ship channel fund. A lot of the, the, uh, you know, the projects have already been, you know, we've already issued the debt and have have our sources of funding, but there's some others that are coming up that that could be very beneficial and especially, especially for some of the emerging ports that uh, Texas ports that maybe don't have the same uh, resource capability. So we think that there's a way to do this smartly and again, get those benefit cost rates, those 159% returns or more returns on those investments. It's an investment in our future of Texas and uh, in our Texas economy. So I think it's a very compelling story. Yes, and I know that our advocacy group under uh, in the oil patches, uh, Texas Energy Advocates Coalition, and, and I think that this will be one uh, opportunity for them to get involved in supporting it. So, you know, for our listeners, if you're interested in getting involved, please visit shellmag.com. There's a information bar that you can join it's free to join we we look for a like-minded individuals that support you know oil and gas seaports and things that really make sense pertaining to energy and the future let's take one quick snapshot the future phyllis seaports 20 to 30 years from now how how different will they be from where they are right now where, where do you see your port being 20 30 years from now you know i think uh, there are a couple of things that are occurring um one i think you will see us further built out and um moving commerce more efficiently and more environmentally sustainably 
Um, and that's not just going to be the port, but I think it's all of our partners. For example, when Freeport LNG built their facility, they built it, even though it would cost them more to operate it, it was built with electric powered motors. So their emissions are 90% less than turbine, gas turbine driven motors at other, uh, other LNG facilities. So they, they reduced 90% of their carbon emissions just by that one decision. Um, and then they're looking to do other things like carbon sequestration to further reduce their carbon footprint. And we've heard the announcements by other, um, you know, you know, other producers and, and manufacturing facilities that they're looking at the same things. When we make uh, equipment purchases, our, our cranes, they're electric driven. All of those things are environmentally good for our communities. Ports do operate in communities and, and the communities are thriving because you have ports, but we have to coexist. And there is, um, you know, a, a desire to have more sustainable operations in, in all parts of our life. And it's not just ports, but ports have a responsibility too. So will we, we will be stepping up and doing, doing our part and making smart decisions and, and how we do that for the, for the long term and not just quick decisions because that's the thing of the day. But what do you do? How do you invest wisely for the long term to, to be sustainable and to be a good community partner? And uh, we all, I think you're going to find that at all of your Texas ports and how we, how we, how we evolve together. Well, Phyllis, this was a very uh, enlightening interview. I'm really glad I met you at that golf tournament. Um, and I'm very happy that uh, you joined us on the show to tell us all the great things that are happening at Fort Freeport. And we look forward to seeing you in Florida next week. And also would love to have you come back on the show. Uh, maybe once uh, Freeport LNG comes back on the radar, maybe we do another show. We go over there when they come online. But for now, thank you for joining us on the show and look forward to having you back. Thank you. Have a great day. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.